Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music is Everything, episode number 16. This is the podcast where I take a a musical idea, thought, concept, fact, belief, opinion. I discuss it uh, verbatim from something I've written and then off the cuff afterwards and relate it not just to ideas in music, but to ideas in uh, the rest of life. If you like this podcast or my other podcast, Music Is Not A Genre, or any of the live or recorded music on this channel, please take a moment to subscribe. It would mean a lot to me. And or if you know someone you think would be interested in what I do, uh, either in this podcast, the other, or any of my live music or recorded music, please take a moment to share the link to my channel with them or to share any of these videos with them. Uh, I would really appreciate that. So this week, uh, if you saw my Thursday podcast, you will know that I'm doing a mini series of podcasts all uh, based around one idea. This is the second one. This is part two uh, of what I'm calling the illusion episodes. It's all about uh, illusion and trickery in art. And I have to do that contractually with my fingers. Um, That's just that's part of it. Uh, And uh, each week, which I don't know how many weeks that's going to be. It's going to be more than two. That's all I know. Each week, we'll deal with a slightly different facet of that idea, but we'll overlap. Okay. So, you know, uh, brief introduction. I talked about this on Thursday. Let me just go over it very, very quickly, uh, if I can, uh, this time around. There are different ways that fakery and art in art is used, deliberately, not deliberately, in the art itself, in the presentation of the art, in who's doing the art, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the basic concept is that all art is somehow fake, but and all art is also somehow real. And... Uh, that's what all of these episodes are touching on one way or another. So, uh, as always, I'm going to get to what I've written here, and then we can discuss it afterwards. And uh, I'm listening for your comments. Uh, so, this week. That song is so real. No, it's not. The Illusion Episodes, Part 2. Every artist gets there. For some, it's a departure from their normal mode. For some, it is their mode. For some, it's a concession to age. For some, it's a defiant statement of not being pigeonholed or thought of as less serious. You know the moment I'm talking about, when an artist writes and records that extra special, heartfelt confessional, that song that reveals something truer and more personal about them. And I'm here to tell you, it's bullshit. 
If you watch my podcast on Thursday, you'll know that this is the second of several episodes I'm doing that deal with illusion in art, specifically in music. This one has to do with the idea that the way a song is crafted and recorded tells us something about its content. This is an illusion. It's one of many forms of trickery that all artists employ for effect. I mentioned on Thursday that art is artifice. That no matter how true a work is, it's still crafted. The word craft itself is used all the time to indicate, indicate trickery. Think of witchcraft. When you make up a song, that song is made up, which can also mean it's not real. So many words having to do with art also somehow mean not true. Even the word create means form from nothing. Nothing, meaning something not real. Okay, so let's get back to the main point here, that how a song sounds indicates how true or deep it is. This really is total and complete bullshit. I can tell you as both a listener and a creator that the style, or let's even say genre, of a song is a full-on illusion. That's why I always say music is not a genre, because genres are illusions. That was an aside. Do certain types of instrumentation better convey certain emotional intentions? Yes. Do artists hope to make listeners feel a certain way by how they produce their songs? Absolutely. Does that mean the lyrics in those songs have the same emotional content or the same perceived level of depth or the same intended meaning? No fucking way. There are thousands of examples of songs that sound one way and have lyrics that go a completely different way or songs whose deepness goes as far as how they sound and whose lyrics don't really measure up, deliberately or not. The style of a song is its clothing, its skin. It's not the guts and bones. In fact, many artists get a real kick out of this kind of misdirection, this kind of illusion. For one, it's just fun to mess with people, to buck expectations, to surprise. For another, that juxtaposition adds a whole other level of meaning. It forces the listener to actually listen, to not be fooled by the surface. Lots of songs with amazing lyrics often get short shrift because they're produced in a way that doesn't immediately convey deep meaning. Pop songs, rock songs, dance songs, power pop, hard songs that hide sensitive lyrics and vice versa. The surface judgments miss the truth, miss the real substance. Sound familiar? We ruin our discourse, our ability to connect with each other by judging people based on how they look or how they talk instead of paying attention to what they're doing or saying. How often have you heard someone with a certain accent or dialect and immediately dismissed them as dumb or incapable of meaningful conversation or on the other side, too cold, too proper, too intellectual? Or how often have you been fooled by someone's appearance, assumed they're rough or suspicious or alternatively trustworthy and knowledgeable based on how they dress or what their skin or facial features look like? We all do it. It's in all of us to snap judge based on appearances and verbal expression, whether that means we unfairly denigrate or lionize. What's important, especially now, is that we are self-aware enough to first acknowledge this when it happens and then 
move on and beyond it to really see and hear someone based on their true substance, to take a moment to reflect on what's actually being said or done, not on what we think it looks like or how our senses make us feel. The more we can stop and look and listen, the more we'll find those commonalities that a faster reaction will completely run over and miss. The more we get past that false instinct of snap judgment, the more we will connect with people who we'll find are way more like us than we ever could have known. So surface, right? Don't judge a book by its cover, the whole thing. Uh, that's kind of what this is. Um, I mean, I think it goes a little further than that in a way. I mean, it, you know, or maybe that saying itself goes further, right? Um, I have notes here. and They're not a complete everything that I would want to say. But, you know, to start off just reading what it says there, used car salesman, right? So that's always used as an example of somebody who is well-dressed, well-spoken, but slimy underneath right? This can be applied to many politicians and uh, to many people, uh, you know, higher ups in corporations, even people who aren't so high up. There are people who, uh, you know, it's the wolf in sheep's clothing idea. It's all that stuff. It's that, you know, appearances do not necessarily dictate what's going on underneath, the, 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 you know, the, sub, the substance, right? Um, in, in, a, in a musical sense, in a musical sense, what that what that is, again, is the idea of genre and why I'm so against pigeonholing things into genres. First of all, because they're, they're very slippery. You, you could classify something as one genre, hear it slightly differently, then all of a sudden it adds another genre, then on and on, and it just slips the slippery slope into something completely different. Um, but secondly, because it gives, I think, the, a person the false impression that what they're going to hear is X, right? Like, for example, perfect example, as a matter of fact. Have you ever listened, actually listened to Ozzy Osbourne's lyrics? They have a lot to do, and I don't mean, like, current lyrics I don't know as well, but I think that they apply as well. Um, they have a lot to do with uh, self-reflection, inner turmoil, uh, thinking about, you know, certain big picture things in life and understanding what's, imp what's important and, and things like that. And this is very, very, very real simplification of all of it. But um, even the songs that seemingly have to do with something dark or sinister, if you listen to the lyrics... They're really, you know, uh, in some ways very insightful and, and just they're, 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 they're very connected to his own personal experience. So here's a, here's a perfect example of how this type of music, heavy metal, is perceived as insensitive, as harsh, as aggressive, as, you know, um, evil in some ways. And some of it is, you know, and some of it's meant to be, and that's the intention. But so much of it, and, and not honestly just uh, Black uh, Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne, but even um, Judas Priest, another great example. Uh, these lyrics are much more introspective than that, and much more heartfelt, and in some ways actually very positive, if you're really, you know, you're really getting into them. Uh, another example, I've used this before, but I'm going to say it again, because it's the first one that comes to mind. Um, actually, I'll use two, uh, no, no, I'll use this example, uh, the Smiths and Morrissey, right? So a lot of what they did, not everything, but a lot of what they did had very peppy, happy sound to it. 
that kind of jangly indie pop indie rock sound, right? If you know them at all, you know that their lyrics were mostly pretty freaking depressing, pretty sad, pretty, you know, in some ways very jaded even. You know, like one of my uh, favorite songs, there's just Panic, and the whole thing is Panic on the Streets of London, blah, blah, blah. At the end, the repeated line is Hang the DJ. It's a really happy-sounding song, one you want to get up and dance to. Lyrics don't say anything about that. They're honestly the exact opposite. And that is a version of trickery. It's a version of drawing a listener in in one way and hoping that they get something else out of it completely. You know, um, that they, so those are some concrete examples as I have on my notes, jeepers. Uh, I think that, you know, the idea of it, uh, the, that juxtaposition creating new meaning, you'd think of it this way, right? Uh, let's go back to Panic from the Smiths a very happy sounding song with those really harsh lyrics. Well, maybe you think then that there's a certain joy in defiance, a certain joy in bucking, uh, you know, trends and the status quo and the, uh, you know, what was going on in, in London and in Britain at the time with Margaret Thatcher and all that stuff, like taking joy in this harshness or negativity, right? Um, with let's say Ozzy Osbourne's lyrics, let's, let's go with them. As, as positive as they might be, or on the other hand, as maybe introspective as they might be insensitive, there's a certain shield that the music puts up. There's a certain level of um, angst that the music creates that really, I think, is part and parcel of having those feelings anyway. A lot of times, to get to a place of positivity, you got to go through a lot of shit. And so the music was essentially the shit that was taking you to the positivity. So there's that juxtaposition there. And that is another form of kind of illusion or trickery, you know. Um, again, I'm going to do this hand thing or some version of it. Every time I say the word illusion, it's just going to happen. So just live with it, right? Um, I, you know, as far as you know, real life, so I touched on the used car salesman idea, right? But I think what many of you might be hearing, and hopefully you are, uh, if you're tuned in to not just what I'm saying, but what's going on in the world and what has been going on in the world for a very long time, um, has to do with ideas of class and race, right? Class and race as, as pertains not just to our uh, prejudices, prejudgments is what they are, um, and, and to uh, appearances, or we might, you know, judge someone based on the color of their skin, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but also how a person sounds. Um, and let's go both ways because I think it's important to illustrate this, that this, this happens everywhere. Um, I am admitting, like I said, we all do this, that there are times, not all the time, but there are times when I hear someone with a southern, a, a thick southern accent. And, I, and, and my first kind of snap judgment is whatever they're saying is not going to have any great meaning or intelligence, Right. Now, again, I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm prejudging that based on everything, you know, that came before in my life and in society. And, but, but then I take that moment and say, well, well, let's listen to what that person's really saying. You know, and honestly, sometimes it is really dumb. But, but there are very often many times where it is as insightful or introspective or thoughtful or intelligent as anybody speaking in a, I don't know, you know, British or new, you know, accent or some other posh accent. Um, 
And it's, it's important to note that because it's easy to dismiss people based on how they sound, not just how they look. Uh, on the other hand, and this is something I think that is, is so damn common that it's making a lot of people sick, um, people in the African-American community, you know, from various regions of the country often have speak with certain accents and dialects that automatically identify them in many ways from that area of the country, from that, uh, you know, group of people, that class of people. And there are a lot of people in this world who hear that, either the accent or the mode in which they're speaking. Maybe it's a little louder or something like that. And they immediately think this person is, is dumb or aggressive or dangerous or any, or anything like that. Um, and I mean, a couple things to say about that. First of all, it's very similar to the first example I gave, except that in terms of uh, society and politics and power, it's, I think, way more damaging. It's done more damage to this country and this world. Um, not dismissing, you know, the other, uh, the other example at all, but I do believe that's true. And the, you know, the other thing to say is, again, to say that we all do it, right? I grew up in a place that had a different people from different cultures, so I wasn't completely sheltered. But in uh, 2008, uh, I moved my family to Harlem. And uh, they're actually still there. I'm, I'm living elsewhere now, but they're all still there, my kids um, and all. And, you know, there was no feeling, I want to say this honestly, there was no feeling of danger or we're the other or we're not going to be accepted, nothing like that. First of all, most of New York isn't like that. But, sec you know, second of all, I've been in the city long enough to know and get a feel for people and, and areas and everything. And honestly, there was a more neighborhood and welcoming feel and is in, in Harlem than in many of the other places that I've lived in my life. So that wasn't it, right? But having grown up uh, with you know, uh, having been friends with certain, you know, some African-American people uh, and then gone to school with them and work with them and all of that. And then also, you know, culturally just seeing, uh, you know, you know, like Eddie, Eddie Murphy and, and uh, uh, Richard um, and, oh, geez, my, my mind's right. And then so many musicians and people, you know, African-American descent um, and, and a certain way that they present themselves or speak, which again is not a blanket thing, but you know, Eddie Murphy would purposely put on different accents to kind of, you know, be funny, honestly, in, in, in as many ways and kind of tell stories about his life and his experience and, and, and stuff like that. And some of them were deliberate cliches and all of that. Now I knew that, right? Doesn't mean everybody knows, doesn't mean I knew it about everything, but I'm saying I knew specifically that. But, you know, going, so going to Harlem and you hear a certain way of speaking on the street, you hear a certain way of, of, of interacting and all of that. And it did take me a little while to, to just stop and listen. And when I did, I realized that, no, not everyone's experience is the same and people, you know, have different struggles and stuff like that. But on an everyday basis, the majority of what anybody anywhere was talking about could have been anything that any of any of my family or friends would say. And looking beyond that dialect, that accent, looking beyond the uh, maybe, you know, the louder way of speaking, once I heard that, let me tell you, my experience of Harlem and the world changed completely. Changed completely. Because 
you have a firsthand experience of being able to listen to people who speak differently than you, look differently than you do, and understanding that so much of what they're saying and doing is just so not different, right? In fact, and it's, I say this all the time, and I know it's, it's a funny parallel, it's not meant to be that serious, but I come from a partly Italian family and they're very loud. We would be very loud at home, my brother and I, with my parents, and most of the time it had nothing to do with anger or frustration or aggression. It's just how we spoke, this is how we communicated, right? So, you know, for us to think that there's a certain type of communication that's only indigenous to one like class or group of people it itself is ridiculous. But even if overall uh, people from another country who are speaking English speak in a certain way or from another part of this country speak in a certain way, we need to be smarter than that. We need to be more thoughtful than that. We need to be more patient and more open and listening than just taking that initial snap judgment because I'm telling you, I, I know from firsthand experience hundreds and thousands of times that the vast majority of those times, what, what was being said or done was just, was, was something that was extremely common to, to me, to the people I know, to the people I, I'm related to, to the people I grew up with, to the people who I see as quote unquote more like me. And those people who we don't see as like ourselves are just way more like us than we realize. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for reading, if you did. Thank you for clicking and sharing and subscribing. I want to know everything that you have to think about and say about all of this, whether you agree or disagree, whether you love it or hate it. I want to know all of it because, as always, my objectives are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you. And I'll see you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.